Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. What's left of it? (laughs) It's so good to see you guys. I want to make a quick announcement about next Sunday. I know Megan already mentioned about Football Sunday. That is a very special weekend for us around here at Brazos Fellowship. And we have a very special NFL-themed at the movies that we just made for next weekend. And I hope that you will come back next weekend, bring some friends to check that out. We have seen so much beautiful life change that God does through these special weekends where people really uh, feel a little bit more free maybe to invite friends, family, coworkers, etc., to come and check it out. Lots of cool activities for the kids and different things that are going to be going on. So you don't want to miss out on that. Wear your favorite jersey, all of that. That'll be next Sunday, so please don't miss out on taking full advantage of that Sunday. So that's going to be next Sunday. This Sunday, we're going to continue the series we've been in now for really for about a month, month and a half or so. Um, It is the three enemies of your soul. And so last week, we kind of introduced the second of the enemies, the flesh. And so we're going to kind of pick up where we left off last week and talking about the fact that Jesus said every single person, whether you realize it or not, are aware of it or not, whether you even agree with it or not, that everybody is in a war. There is a war going on for you. And specifically, this is not a physical war. It is a spiritual war. And the battleground for this war is our minds. It goes on right up here. And the spiritual war that Jesus warned us about was to take back control of our minds from their captivity to lies with the weapon of the truth. And Jesus not only said that this was a reality that every person's going to have to struggle with, but that this is a big part of why he came. Even in his trial with Pontius Pilate right before the crucifixion, he says, for this reason I came to testify to the truth. And in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Like, I embody this. I came to bring this to explain to you the reality of the universe in which you live. In other words, you need to know things like origins and purpose and morality and destiny. The four big questions that any worldview should be able to answer. Jesus says, I've come to fulfill in the blanks to let you be clear about what it's all about. And I want you to know the truth and that you have a very real enemy. Jesus called him the devil, that he is working against you. And what is his primary strategy? Jesus said it this way. He says the devil's primary strategy is deceptive ideas that play to misguided desires. There are these desires in all of us that are bent in the wrong direction, that are bent towards destruction. So his deceptions or his lies that he comes into our life with are not random. They are targeted at our desires that could destroy us. And we all have those dark desires that we think, well, if I acted on that, that would destroy my marriage, that would destroy my career, my kids would never respect me. I mean, it would really wreak havoc on me. But we have a culture that is increasingly trying to entice us, if we're not careful, into some of the things that, and these lies, these deceptions are all around us, and we're going to talk some more about that. This misguided desire, 
was given a name by the New Testament writers. It was given the name the flesh. And we defined it last week, and the flesh is defined this way. It's a sin nature, or sinful nature. It's our animal, animalistic cravings for self-gratification. So it's kind of pleasure in general, yes, want to seek pleasure, but it's more than that. It's a desire for domination, a desire for control. Like, I want to deep down control people and circumstances, and if everybody did what I said, this would be a lot better place for me, right? In other words, we'd like God's job, right? We, we, we'd like to be able to call the shots. That is our flesh, our flesh nature. So here's what I'd like to do today. I want to take this idea of the flesh and look at it as it pertains to a huge idea, especially to us Americans, this idea of freedom, freedom. Now, a group of sociologists led by a man by the name of Robert Ballah, and uh, he extensively writes about this in his book, but he says that they did extensive research across the United States and found out that the most important value to us as Americans is this word, freedom. It, it is precious to us. We're willing to fight for it. We're willing to die for it. But here's the thing about freedom. It is an interesting term that isn't fully understood. There are some things about freedom, especially in this country, that have gone awry. And what do I mean by that? I mean that widespread addiction continues to spread in this nation. That the um, compulsive shopping online continues to become a bigger addiction in this country. Indebtedness continues to be an issue for us as Americans. That um, things like uh, obesity and alcoholism continue to be things that we struggle with that are growing and what's interesting in addition to that anything that requires long-term fidelity is currently in major decline things like marriage and two-parent families and the like in this country to the point where a lot of people not just Christian people a lot of people are asking the question how could this happen in the land of the free like what is going on here. This doesn't seem to make sense. What is happening? Why is everything going down like this? Maybe, just maybe, there is something about this idea of freedom that we don't understand. We don't fully understand how it works. As a matter of fact, it's been written about quite a bit. Constitutional law professor um, by the name of Patrick Deneen at uh, Notre Dame has written extensively about this idea of Americans and our freedom. And he says, our problem as Americans with freedom did not start in the 1960s with Woodstock and the sexual revolution. He says, no, 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 it started much earlier than that. In the 1760s with the Enlightenment, the founding fathers and with our Constitution. And from that, we derived this whole new understanding functional definition for freedom that assumes a different human being than we've ever assumed before. And here was that new definition. Freedom is the ability to do whatever we want. That we really, I mean, that is fully indoctrinated into our American culture, that you should be able to do whatever you want. Now, 
What few people realize is, and maybe even, you know, uh, a smaller segment of the, even the Christian population, is that that is not the definition that Jesus used for, de- for freedom or any of the New Testament writers. So I'd like us to take a look, turn our attention to maybe one of the greatest chapters in the New Testament, greatest chapters in the Bible that talks about this idea of how are we to understand the flesh and freedom? How do we make sense of those two things if we call ourselves followers of Jesus or you're entertaining that idea today of what does it mean to be a Christian? Let's take a look in Galatians chapter 5. This is Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, the little city And he is writing about this very issue that we face as Americans. How do we understand this? And here's how he begins in verse 1. He says, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. He says, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of, let's say it together, a yoke of slavery. He's like, no, I don't want you to go back to the slavery, and I don't think you want to go back to the slavery. Slavery was a very fresh thing for those people, right? And what's interesting at first glance, this first verse in this chapter sounds like a modern American might have said it. Hey, listen, you don't let anybody or anything try to control you. I mean, you, you, you don't take orders from me, but you do what you want. But as we continue to read, we'll find that, that Paul actually defined freedom very different than the way that our culture has defined it today. Let's skip to verse 13 now and see what he says there. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your, let's say it together, your freedom to indulge the flesh. Don't let your freedom indulge the flesh. You have been called to freedom in Christ. In other words, and he's speaking to a bunch of people that some were Greeks, some were Gentiles, non-Jews, and some were Jews. And he's speaking uh, predominantly right now to some of those Jews who were saying, he's saying, listen, you used to be under that old Mosaic covenant of the Old Testament where you had to keep all the rules to be in right standing with God, but now you're under Christ and this, this rule of grace covers you and there's incredible freedom now where you're not having to be a rule keeper all the time. That's wonderful, but don't let your newfound freedom cause you to indulge your life back into the flesh because it is a slavery it will incarcerate you and it will take away your choices. In other words, Paul here is helping us. It's really, this is such a beautiful insight. He's saying to us, and maybe some people, this might be an aha for you. You can be born again, saved, follower of Jesus, which all those mean the same thing, by the way. You can be all those things and still a prisoner to the flesh, a prisoner to sin, still living like you're, you're stuck in the old life. Don't do that. Like he's like, there's, a, there's actually a choice here. This is really important. So Paul is giving us a very different definition of freedom. The type of freedom Paul is talking about as it's defined in this Greek, uh, by this Greek word here in this passage is freedom is a sense of self-determination. This self-determining freedom here is radically different than our idea of freedom. This self-determining freedom is, he understood, is a gift from God that we have been given. 
that we can consciously decide our course of action. Before we act, we can think. Before we do, we can consider. Like he says, this is so important for you to understand. And this is really interesting because philosophers have debated this for years and years and years, that this is one of the distincting or, or one of the big distinctions that, that sets us apart from the rest of creation is the fact that we have self-determining freedom. And the rest of the animal kingdom is run by a primal, um, you know, animalistic drives. They don't have that option. This is really kind of an interesting idea that when we run up against misguided desires, we can say, huh, is that a good idea? Should I do that? No, I'm not going to do that. And we can change course. Now consider for a moment a coyote, all right? A coyote that wants to eat a rabbit. A, a coyote, before he goes after the rabbit, doesn't think about it. He doesn't sit there and go, you know, before I run after this rabbit, is this really a good idea? I think I'll cue up a podcast on a um, plant-based diet. Consider veganism. I'm not sure. I really want to kind of think this through. No! The coyote runs on a very simple program. See rabbit, chase rabbit, eat rabbit, right? That's what he does. Or she. That's what they, they are. They are primal instincts that are just running on autopilot. And that's, that's really interesting. But because of that, in the animal kingdom, there is no rule of ethics. We don't hold predators responsible and accountable for going after prey in the local zoo, do we? They're just doing what animals do. But we are not coyotes, right? When you go into a restaurant, the Wait staff doesn't bring out a wrinkling rabbit, throw it on the ground, and you drop and consume it. That's not how that works, right? They bring out a what? They bring out a menu. So you can consider what you like, your allergies, fat content, calories, sugar, protein. How is this going to make me look to my day? You know, like, there's a lot of things we're thinking about when we order our food. We got a process that we're going through. This is really interesting. So the thing that I want you to see here that really distinguishes us, because there is this blending idea that's going on in our world today, is saying, no, you're just like every other animal. You just run by instinctual desires. That's not true. What makes us different from any other um, part of creation is not just our opposable thumbs, but it is our God-given ability to stop and to consider our course of action. It is our self-determining freedom. We get to choose. No matter how much you might think, oh, I'm just pre-programmed, just doing what I'm supposed to. No, you get to choose. And people break that mold all the time. And we applaud them for it. They decide to do different. They choose better. We have an enormous amount of self-determining freedom, in other words. But there's a rub with that, that self-determining freedom. But the freedom is, as it turns out, very easy to abuse. And when we abuse freedom, we negate love. In other words, when we give in to our flesh, we negate our, misuse our freedoms, then we stop loving our neighbor. And this is Paul's point in the very next verse. Here's what he says, the end of verse 13 going towards the 15. He says, rather, serve one another humbly in love. 
For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm sure you've heard that before, right? If you bite and devour each other, see here he's using the animal kingdom. He's saying like, we don't act like this, right? He says, well, if we bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Paul's point here, unlike the animal kingdom, we can choose whether or not to bite down on another human being with our gossip, with our lies, with a subtle condescending remark at work to kind of push somebody out of the way so that you can move ahead. He's saying, listen, it's so important that you understand this, that when you give in, you succumb to the flesh, you are working opposite of loving your neighbor. And when you choose to love your neighbor, you, you, you begin to diminish and deteriorate the power that the flesh has over your life. This is a powerful teaching, and it's huge in terms of its distinctions on helping us understand that the flesh is anti-love. It will destroy all of the good, loving relationships in our life. It's so important that we understand. Now, I, when you read that as an American, flesh is anti-love. Wow, that doesn't seem to make sense. It doesn't compute. Because in our world today, we have confused love with lust and desire so much of the time. But it's important for you to understand that in this passage right here, Paul is not using the Greek word for love that is from the origin eros that we understand erotic from. It's not that kind of love. It is agape love. It's the kind of love that Jesus talked about all the time, a different kind of love. And let me give you a definition for that. Agape love is to will the good for another above your own, no matter the cost to you. And the parents in the room here do this all the time for your kids. You put their needs over your own. The healthy marriages in this room, you have learned how to do this for your spouse. You've learned how to put their needs over your own. And by doing that, and you get two people that are doing that, man, that is a healthy, powerful blessing of a marriage. People who are elevating the other above themselves. You see, love is the desire not to take, but to give. This is the kind of love that he's talking about. And this is the kind of love that is expressed best through the freedom that is presented to us in Scripture that God intended for us to live according to. Now next, Paul begins to say, okay, so there's these competing desires that are going on in your heart. And you don't need anybody, you don't have to have Paul or anybody else tell you that yes, I feel those competing desires at times that your heart wants things that, that are mutually exclusive. You can't have both ways. I shared last week, I can't go to the bakery, eat all the time, and have the abs I'd like. I wish I could, but that's not how it works, right? Um, you have to, there's gonna be times like that all the time that we're gonna be facing those kinds of things. And here's what he says, that a, a deeper, more serious spiritual side of this. He says, so I say, walk by the, let's say this together, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, one more time, <clears throat> the flesh is our animalistic cravings for self-gratification. The spirit is God's empowering presence in our life. 
It is something that we can step into. He's talking about you can walk according to it. You could be in step with it. And it's powerful and God's present. He wants to use you and work through you. But you have to be willing to choose that. He goes on to say, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. He's like, they're at, at war. They are in conflict with each other. So that, let's, let's say this last phrase together, okay? So that you are not to do whatever you want. That may feel like the most un-American scripture in all of the Bible. You are not to do whatever you want. Did you know that was in the Bible? He tells you, listen, you want to be free from the flesh? You have to take that seriously. That is the opposite of the message that we see over and over and over in our culture today. This last summer, pop icon Billie Eilish was being interviewed by um, Vogue magazine. And they were asking her about an outfit that she wore for a photo shoot. Not really important, but her response was. Now, let me just say, she's 19 at the time when she was interviewed. So let's go easy on her. I bet when you were 19, you said some silly things, right? Foolish things. But here's what she said. And it wasn't, she's just repeating what she's hearing in culture, which I'm sure she's heard a million times. My thing is that you can do whatever you want. It's all about what makes you feel good. Again, she's 19. But when you have some age, some wisdom and experience, you realize just because something makes you feel good doesn't mean it is good. Right? And another thing that we learn is that the last thing that you should do is whatever you want I mean, if human history has taught us anything, is that that is the quickest path to destruction in this world. And it may be, I'm going to say it as, as strongly as I can, may be the most blatant, demonic lie of our day. You can do whatever you want. It's destroying so many people. But he tells us that, listen, there are these two opposing um, desires, or two opposing options, the, the spirit and the flesh. The spirit and the flesh, you can't have both. There, 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 there is a battle, there is a fight going on, but you get to pick which one to follow. I get to pick every day which one I'm going to follow. But here's the interesting thing. Once you pick, there is a kind of cascading effect that happens. There is a trajectory that happens for your soul and for our society that, that trickles down. That is a domino effect that happens in our world that we have to be aware of. And Paul goes on in the next verse, and he begins to help us to see, listen, I'm going to talk to you about what it looks like for a group of people to just go ahead and give themselves over to the flesh. Now, as I read through this passage of the Scripture, I want you to think about places in our culture and in our world that reflect some of these words. Now, let me be quick to say, not everything that happens in our world is horrible and awful and demonic and, and dark. 
I mean, there are some incredible advances in science and medicine and, and, and human rights. You compare it to almost any other time in history. We're doing a lot better. We haven't got it all figured out, but we're doing better. So I'm, let me just quickly say, listen, I want you to look at those places where the flesh is being succumbed to and they are becoming darker. It's important that we're paying attention to and, and discerning those things. So here's what he says. The acts of the flesh are obvious. In other words, if you start looking for these things, it'll be very obvious to you. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Hookup culture, tender, the local bar, club, right? Idolatry and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, Twitter, cancel culture, most of what we call the news, right? <laughs> right. Selfish ambition, dissension, factions, politics, whether we're talking about in your local uh, workspace, in your office, or Washington, D.C. We see it everywhere, right? Dissensions, factions, and envy. I mean, the internet, right? Advertisement, Social media, the envy machine. I mean, that's what it's built for. It keeps you coming back. What else? What else? What else? Who else has got what? 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 Like, it's, it's everywhere, right? Drunkenness and orgies and the like. Most of the platforms that offer us entertainment these days fall in these categories. And he ends the passage by this, saying this, I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, Paul is telling us, he's saying, watch for this, ladies and gentlemen, because this is what a society begins to look like when it gives itself over to the flesh. And this is what you personally will begin to look like if you give yourself over to the flesh. But he's calling us to something better, something greater, something more powerful. He says, okay, so now you know about that. Let's juxtapose, let's, let's compare this with what it looks like to walk in the spirit of God. What does that kind of a person look like? What's that man or woman look like? And here's what he says in the next passage. He says, but the fruit of the spirit is love and joy, peace, forbearance, also translated patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Someone who's walking in the Spirit exudes this kind of fruit. They are a loving person. They are a joyful person. They are an unanxious person. They are an unhurried person. They are kind. They are good. They are faithful. They are gentle. They are self-controlled. They are helpful to the world around them. They are a light wherever they go. No matter where they go, they make a difference. God uses them as salt and light in a tasteless and dark world, period, wherever they go. He's like, don't you ever forget that. He has a mission for you. God has got you right where he wants you for a purpose. Don't keep waiting for God to raise up somebody else. He may be saying, hey, you, I want to use you right where you are. I want you to begin to learn how to walk in the Spirit because I'm going to use you to make an eternal difference in the lives of the people around you. But you've got to say yes. You've got to decide. You have to choose. You have to use your self-determining freedom that I have given you as a gift. Volition, choice, 
will. Those are things that are gifts from God, and we must handle them well because most people are not. And here's how Paul wraps up this passage, a beautiful way to kind of put a bow on it. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Crucifying was to die too, right? I want you to learn how to be unresponsive as a corpse (laughs) to the flesh. Learn how to train your heart that you don't respond to those misguided desires in your heart. And guess what you'll notice? They will diminish and they will shrink and they'll stop having a power over your life. And you will be free. True freedom will begin to happen in your life. He says, since we live by the, let's say together, by the Spirit, God's empowering presence, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And there's a lot packed into this idea of keeping in step with the Spirit. What Paul is talking about here is that we voluntarily surrender and submit ourselves to the authority of God. And unlike some of the cultural messaging today, we look at the authority of God not as oppressive, but as freeing. We look at it like this is an incredible training ground for self-mastery, self-discipline, self-restraint. We look at it like good parenting for kids, right? Every kid needs a good parent. We need the same thing. We need a place with God that we can learn how to exercise self-discipline, self-mastery, self-restraint. And when we do this, we will begin to take steps to becoming people of love. And when we do this, we will become then people who can handle even more freedom. Because the worst thing in the world, ladies and gentlemen, is giving freedom to someone who has no self-mastery. It always leads to destruction. It is why we don't give gun permits to 10-year-olds. It's it's why we don't uh, give alcohol to teenagers or let people with too many DUIs have a driver's license. It's not that those freedoms are evil or bad. It is that they cannot handle them yet. See, we've come to understand collectively, but we forget this individually. You first have to become the kind of person who is free internally so that you can enjoy freedoms externally. And when you can't control yourself internally, we have to impose more and more and more laws on you to make you do externally the things you won't make yourself do internally. And this is what Paul is saying. You want to learn how to be free, you've got to choose to start it right in here. Freedom in this country and in this world, in our community, starts with you and I right here in our hearts. It has to. And we have to realize that the greatest things in this world come as a result of us not saying we can do whatever we want, but being willing to choose to restrain and constrain the rights and the freedoms that we have been given. Think about a loving relationship. You cannot even be in a loving relationship with a person without exercising constraint, right? To gain intimacy, we must give up autonomy. If you want to become intimate with somebody, you can't do whatever you want. That will destroy the marriage. That will destroy the relationship. You can't do that. But we have a world that tells you No, you can do whatever the hell you want. My word choice is intentional because when we say we can do whatever we want, we introduce hell into our life. Did you see that list? 
He says, it will destroy you. It'll destroy me. This is an important decision to make. This is a war that's going on and so many people are being destroyed in it. And Jesus came to say, I have come to emancipate you from that slavery and I want to bring you into freedom. I want to bring you out. It's like Jesus has come as our new Moses, right? He's coming. He said, I'm going to set you free. I'm going to bring you out of that slavery and into a new land, a new way of being human, a whole new way of thinking, and a whole new way of behaving and living, a new truth, a new reality, a new way of living. And it will change you for the better, and it will open you up to freedom that you never knew could be possible and help you to be able to love people like you never thought you could. But it's done through Jesus, and it starts with him, a love relationship with Jesus himself. And I want to invite you into that relationship with him today. And even those of you who have begun that relationship with him, maybe it's time you just say, Jesus, help me to crucify the flesh today, my sinful nature. Teach me to walk and step with your spirit. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.